Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome into the show. Welcome. It's On the Preds with me. Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports and Sean Smith of On the Forecheck. Welcome, Sean. How are you doing? I'm good, Alex. How are you? So show us that cup real quick. This, this, this cup right here. Yeah. Well, how do I go about renting that space on that cup? Well, I, I guess, uh, I guess they can contact the fine folks at A to Z Sports. <laughs> So yeah, we uh, we obviously uh, are coming live from. Well, they're not coming live. We're 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 talking live. Sean and I are, but uh, you're probably watching this recorded uh, because you're probably not in our house watching us do this show right now. Uh, but it is 2022. We have a brand new year of Nashville Predators hockey, and so a brand new year of on the Preds. New episodes every Sunday. Today is Sunday, January second. We are ready to get it going. Sean's here. I'm here, and we actually have some hockey games to talk about after some time off some 11 days between games for the Nashville Predators because of some COVID outbreaks we have some games to talk about what what, you want to give us a brief rundown of what you did Sean during those 11 days what was your life like for those 11 days uh you know it was uh, a lot of weeping um gnashing of teeth just just sadness the whole time. No, you know it was really odd. We had a, we had a lot of time at home just as a family um, in the run up to Christmas, for example. That that we normally normally get off as teachers, but also covering yeah. games. You know, you don't really you end up having to go to Bridgestone a few times, or you're ending up you know on the laptop at home in front of the TV. So it was really nice to have you know kind of that opportunity just to to be at home with everybody. We went to. Uh, we went to that elf thing down at the uh, the at the Opryland Hotel. Oh, um, elf, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, we just uh, did I was, some stuff. I was gonna what say, you? I would be very much on board with a ten to twelve day break every single holiday season for the Nashville Predators. I don't want it to be COVID related. I don't want to give players COVID because of that. No. But man, was it nice to not have to deal with like holiday stuff, Christmas planning for the new year, even though that kind of was at the end of it. Uh, but really just the lead up until Christmas can be so stressful. Uh, it was so nice. Like I didn't have to think about, well, I've got to go to the, you know, it's Christmas Eve. I've got to go to the, the Preds game to cover that. Not that it's right. a, a big chore or anything, but it does like add to the stress level. Right. Well, no, and, but even beyond you and I, or people who are covering it, you got to think. And Matthias Eckholm said when they came back, he said it was nice to actually be a dad at Christmas. Yeah. Um, you think about how busy their schedules usually are around the holidays. It's not. It's right. not the same for them as it is for anybody else who just watches the games. You know. Right. So right, right, right. A break wouldn't uh, be too bad. But uh, so the, the the last game before the break was the the win over the Chicago Blackhawks, the three to two overtime win. 
11 days in between there with tons of COVID exposures and people coming on and off the list and canceled games and everything. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Uh, but then they come back to play the Washington Capitals, seven game win streak in hand. And they go to Washington to play their former coach, Peter LaViolette. And because Peter LaViolette is in the same building as the Nashville Predators, the Nashville Predators lose. Hashtag joke. After 12 days off the Preds travel to Washington, and uh, the first period was just a disaster for Nashville. They were down 3 nothing. Honestly, it looked like they were skating through mud. It looked like they had not skated in a while, which maybe they hadn't. And uh, the Caps were just putting up goals. Um, but then in the second period, the Preds woke up from down 0-3 to tied 3-3 in less than eight minutes. And that was capped off by Philip Forsberg's tipped goal, which I want to show real quick because I thought it was just a really nice goal. Um, this was uh, Forsberg's 14th goal of the year. I think something like that, 13 or 14, because I think he has 15 now. Um, this was such a nice tip. And I want to talk about it at the end too, but I just want to show this real quick. This was to tie the game in the second period. Good play by Fabro, moving and rotating to the middle. And there's a deflection in front of the net, reaching in, looked like Forsberg got a piece of it and put it between the pads of the goaltender. He's had that type of year. Both nines were around one another. And with this, I think the Caps are going to huddle up and the Caps Laviolette's going to use his timeout early here. In so one of the reasons I love that goal is because of the way Philip Forsberg, he creates that little space of space in between the defenders and he kind of backs up into the defender. He's known for that butt check. He kind of did it there, but he got away with it because he was like going for the puck and he kind of backs up and brings the, the stick to him, like towards the puck. You'll see something very, very similar to that at a goal from Chicago later on in the show. So stay tuned for that. Very similar goal and something that I think is really interesting about the way that Philip Forsberg and this other player tipped the goal into the net. Anyways, back to the recap. Um, the problem was in the third period, the Preds lost steam. Kuznetsov makes a really spectacular play shorthanded from behind the net, puts the caps up four to three with around five and a half minutes left. UC Saros was amazing in that third period throughout the game, really. So none of this is on him, but an empty netter did see it, seal it for Washington, a five to three loss. Speaking of UC Saros being amazing, I want to show this save right here. This was the, the, the really incredible one um, that, a lot of people were talking about. So he already had one like pre previous to this. that was great, but this is the one that really stood out to a lot of people. Right pad saves the bacon in Nashville. There's a pass across. You'll see Kuzi gets it. He fires it towards the net. It's the stick and the right pad. Look at the stick. Just knock it away. He was going to the butterfly, utilize the stick to keep that puck out of the net. Great athleticism keeps his game knotted at three. So we've talked a lot about, or at least I have, about a lot about UC Soros' lateral movement. Right there, you saw how even when he can't get quite get there, he's still good with his stick to make that play happen. That was just that was really an amazing save. You look at saves like that. I think they make the highlight reels a lot because you know they've they've got the stick, but clearly the pads are much bigger, right? You know, and, and you've mentioned the lateral movement a lot. And I think even for someone like me who I don't I don't know a lot about like goalie, you know, technique and stuff like that. But, you know, the lateral movement makes sense. But then you see something where 
you get that stick out there, which is such a small piece of equipment compared to everything else, but you're able to, to zero in on that puck so quickly to be able to tap it away is just incredible. It's, you know, it's the saves like that. I think the capability to make those that take you from a, a good serviceable goaltender to someone who's incredible at what they're doing. You know, honestly, it, it, it was a very Pekka Rene like save kind of frantic. Um, Rene was known for that kind of just like kind of being a, a, a kind of a Tasmanian devil back there sometimes just using his athleticism um, as opposed to like a technically sound one. I, I don't think that there was a lot of technical uh, goaltending there. He was just, he was reacting. He was just using yeah. his athleticism and making a great play. It was really, really nice. The Predators did lose though, five to three to Washington. That breaks the, um, the winning streak. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that winning streak as, uh, as we come up to other games to talk about, but um you know, I, I think coming into that game with all that time off, I, I, I really – I kind of saw them losing that game because Washington's really good. Uh, they got a lot of firepower. You've had all that time off. It was going to be really hard to ramp it back up to the same level they were at um, 12 days ago. I mean, were you surprised that they lost that game? I, I really wasn't. No, I, not 100%. I mean, of course, you always want to expect that they can win any game, right? But when you look at the reality of the extended time period off – combined with the style of hockey that the team is making it a point to play, you're asking your players to do, you know, 60 full minutes of hitting everybody, finishing yeah. every check and, and and really forcing the issue, no matter where you are on the ice, that is a little bit more extreme than say, you know, um, some other styles of hockey, I guess you could say where you're maybe relying on speed or finesse as opposed to just sheer power. We're just going to crush period. everyone. The first period especially was just like that. You could tell they were not at the right speed. They yeah, were not at the right ramp up. They needed yeah. to be. Yeah. 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 Um, so then two days later they go, I'm sorry, not two days later, the very next night they go back to back. They go to Columbus. David Riddick gets in, is in the goal. And I thought this was kind of an important game for him because, you know, he had been kind of struggling. Um, and I, you know, maybe struggling is not the right word. He just, he had not been, that good. I mean, he's just, he's not using Soros. He's not Pecorine. Uh, he's not, I don't even think he's Connor Ingram. I mean, he just really wasn't, he hasn't been that great so far. Uh, but I thought he looked okay in this game. I, I, I didn't see anything too bad uh, from him. I thought he looked okay. Um, to start off that game, Michael McCarron and Matt Luff connect on a really, really nice two on one uh, or maybe a two on O oh, uh, to put the Preds up one, nothing. But then Boone Jenner answers for Columbus one to one after one period. Patrick Line scores 24 seconds into the second period. Patrick Line looked really good for Columbus. This might be the best yeah. I've seen out of Line in a while. I mean, he yeah. been, he's been through it for a while at the end of Winnipeg and then at the beginning with John Tortorella. And just, he looked pretty good, though. So he makes it two to one, Columbus. The cannons were going off. But later in that period, Nick, Nick Cousins has a really, really nice shot from, the, from that tough angle to tie it up. Yeah. And then. Ryan Johansson puts the Preds ahead on the power play. A little tip goal where uh, Duchesne puts it on net and Ryan Johansson gets that stick length going and he puts it in. But then later in the third period, a bad turnover in the Preds zone leads to Alexander Texier. I think that's how you say his name. Um, he scores his 10th goal of the year, like I said, after a turnover. And then uh, that took it to overtime. And... In overtime, I don't remember much that happened. I know that Columbus had a power play at one point, I think. Is that right? Yeah. They yeah, did. they did. And then um, and then a shootout where the, the Blue Jackets prevailed. So 
you know, that's going to happen. You're going to lose some of those. The Preds get the, the loser point and uh, lose four to three in overtime to Columbus. Not a great, not a great loss, but um, considering uh, the circumstances, you know, maybe, maybe not the worst situation. I mean, back to back David Riddick starting still, still knocking off the cobwebs, you know, it happens. You know, I, I'm not going to look at that and, and look at that as like a, you know, it's funny because I'll, I'll say this. And then I, I had someone on Twitter get very upset about the fact that so this wasn't that bad of a loss considering, you know, the team played much better than they had the night before, you know, John Hines even said post game, you know, this, we didn't play. We say we didn't play as as strong as we needed to with a lead in the third, which allowed us to. We had you know one bad turnover, like you mentioned, and they were able to capitalize on it and tie the game. And then of course you get to you get to overtime, you get to a shootout, anything happens. And someone was very upset, saying that that was bad coaching because there's no such thing as a good loss and there's no moral victory and defeat and. And all this stuff, but I, you know, if I'm looking at it and I'm being very realistic here, the people that say that are just fundamentally unhappy people. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. Um, you know, but I think for me, that's that's the thing is, I'd much rather have someone coaching the team that can look at the overall. You know, this is what happened during this game, and say, yeah, we we lost. This is why we lost, and this is the lesson we're going to take from it. And that's that's one of my you know big things I've talked about a lot with John Hines. Is he says we're going to take the lessons, both good and bad, from every game. And the lesson they're taking yeah. from this game is you can't let your foot off the gas when you have a lead. And that and goes that, back. Or go ahead, sorry. It just that goes back several seasons where you'd see the Predators come up with a big lead early and then turtle in the third. And no, no one enjoys that style of hockey. We, we certainly never enjoyed watching it. And we're very quick to call it out when we see it. So, you know, to you say, know, I, hey. I think, I think his – Hines' comments at the end of the Columbus game were really interesting. And I, I don't have them pulled up. I do have his comments after the Chicago game. But uh, that part where he talks about – he talked about how, you know, we, we lost the game. But he, he only gets really worried. It was I'm paraphrasing. But he was something like – he, he – you're going to lose games, but you don't want to lose your identity. That's right. And he's talked a lot about that, but like it just the way he puts things and the way that he kind of describes these, uh, these scenarios with, with his team um, feels just so different from where this team was two or three years ago. And Big time. I, I don't think that anyone would be happy with a loss, but you know, the, especially, especially losing in a shootout, you, you have to kind of find a way to just kind of, move on from it because it's just a, it's a crappy way to end a game. Yeah. And um, you didn't really get beat on the ice, but you didn't really lose it either. So, or you, you didn't win it either. So um, yeah. No, I, I, no one likes my idea for uh, deciding ties either. So what you just fight at center ice yeah, center ice fight. Just, I mean, I mean, you, why not? I mean, <laughs> seems cool to me. Right. I don't think the players would love it, well, but you know. I know no one likes my idea of just going back to ties because everyone hates oh. that. Ooh. Oh, that's 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 my hot take. I'm I'm fine with ties. Well we'll we'll make that a whole show one time. Then then it would be soccer. That's fine. Soccer's great. Soccer's the most popular sport in the world. Okay. All right, let's move on. You're right. We're gonna sidetrack if we talk about that. All right, so let's move on to 
Chicago two days later in um, the new year, 2022, and the first game of 2022 really bodes well for the rest of the year for the Nashville Predators. Maybe not so much for the Chicago Blackhawks. Philip Forsberg takes a very nice feed from Matt Duchesne and scores just a minute into the game. Then Ryan Johansson has a really slick move off another nice pass from Forsberg uh, to score on Colin Delia to make it 2 nothing. Then Nick Cousins tips home a goal from Matthias Ekholm. That was right after Philip Tomasino made a nice play. If you notice here, I'm mentioning a lot of names, and uh, there's more coming. So Collier, 3-0 after first, after the end of the first. Collier Delia is benched for someone named Arvid Soderblom, who makes his NHL debut in not great circumstances. He is almost immediately scored on by Tanner Janot. Uh, makes it four nothing. He he puts home like a really nice Colton Sisson's back pass. Uh, that was really really nice play. Uh, then then Roman Yossi scores to make it five nothing on the power play. Another Tanner Janot goal, and six one is the final. And let me tell you this: this is the largest win for the Predators, the largest deficit win. Well, sorry, the largest margin of victory. That's how I should put it. The largest margin of victory for the Preds over the Blackhawks. Since game two of the 2017 quarterfinal matchup, the five nothing victory in Chicago. How about that? I like that. I like <laughs> that. I, I, I want to say something too. This, this is, you know, it's neither here nor there, but you mentioned this being the, the first NHL appearance of someone named Arvid Soderblom. Yeah. And uh, I was, I noticed there was a moment, and I don't remember if it was in the second or the third, um, when. Forsberg kind of lingered after some net front activity and it looked like some of the players were coming over to kind of remove Forsberg from their goalie but I think he was actually encouraging him in uh in Swedish so um I, I got curious I got curious and I said I wonder I wonder if they're from the same part of Sweden but I checked it's like five and a half hours away by car so okay that's well, that's not it but the, the the Swedish guys stick stick together. So I mean, I, I I would imagine. Now I don't know how old Soderblom is. If he's making this NHL debut, he's probably twenty one. I think. He's what? I think he was twenty one. I I remember looking that there was a quite an age so, differential. So Forsberg probably never played with him anywhere in Sweden. Uh, he probably no. didn't know the guy, but he's probably heard of him. I mean, you know, he, they 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 do stick around. It's not it's not insensitive to think that because. Um, the Swedish guys stick around. They, they, they all yeah. play together. They, you know, they've the national team, all that stuff. I mean, they've got a lot of, they got a lot of connections with their home country in terms of hockey. So 22, 22. I'm sorry. 22. Yeah. Well, Forsberg's what? 27. Something like that. Anyway, oh, I got to look up other stuff. So, <laughs> um, but I did want to show uh, uh, this goal because I, I teased it earlier. And uh, this is the, Fifth goal, sixth, sixth goal, hang on. This was the sixth goal. This was Tanner Janot's goal, second goal of the game, the sixth goal in the game for the Predators. And I mentioned that I was referring to something earlier with Forsberg's tip goal. Here is Tanner Janot's tip goal. See if you notice any similarities. And look, there's no frills here. I'm just getting that puck to the net. And then Tanner Janot, body position, great shot there. So that was a really quick video, but basically he did very he did a very similar thing to Forsberg. He didn't he didn't have to his momentum was going a different way, so he didn't have to make much contact with that defender. But the stick work is very similar. He actually gets that puck with the lower 
half uh, the lower part of his shaft of his stick, like yeah. kind of kind of near the heel, but actually on the shaft. That's how he gets it. I mean, that's really incredible to do. I mean, like I don't know how how they do that, but they but being able to come back on the puck like that with your stick, to, uh, you see a lot of guys practicing tip goals. And they're either getting them on the ice or they're coming up with it. But the the, yeah. the ones where they're going down, those are those are hard to do, but they're also very successful. Um, just saying, Tanner Janot is he's got some skills. He's got some good it's, stick work, very similar to Forsberg's. It's it's hand eye coordination. You know, I mean, you've got to you've got to know. And you think back, who was hitting home runs when they went and had batting practice at Vanderbilt? It's Tanner Janot. <laughs> the man has good hand-eye coordination. You can't yeah. you can't take it away from somebody. I'd forgotten about gift. that. I think about it a lot. What was he? He he, he hit a bunch of home runs at the at the Vanderbilt. I don't like, know if he I, hit I a bunch. Of, I barely remember runs, that. But he went yard a couple times. Okay. So. Did anyone else? I don't think so. Okay. Not at least not at that outing. I may be wrong. Um, I also want to play this clip from John Hines. This was after the game because it kind of relates to what we were saying earlier about after the Columbus game. And he actually mentions the Columbus game in here. So let me play this real quick. There's a quick clip from John Hines after the, the Chicago, the six, six, one Chicago win. I, I think we really try to be, give a real honest assessment, win or lose the games. And I thought that, you know, like we said in the Columbus game, we probably deserve better. Uh, and in tonight's game, you know, we probably lost the game statistically <laughs> in every category and found a way to win a game. So uh, we'll take the two points, but this wasn't, you know, the identity and, and, and how we need to play to be able to have success. We won the game because we got very good goaltending. Our special teams came through and we had opportunistic scoring. But I think when you look at the identity of how we want to play, uh, it wasn't at the level we needed to be. Pretty interesting because he's he's pretty honest about like he didn't really think that they were up to snuff in that game. I mean they 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 did lose the the shot attempt battle, the expected goals battle, but it was it really was about the goaltending because Colin Delia and Arvid Soderblom versus UC Soros is not a good matchup for Chicago, and uh, I think like the Predators had like three goals on four shots, and that was just not a good. And meanwhile, UC Soros had thirty seven saves. I mean thirty seven yeah. thirty eight. Um, he was great. So um, I, I think it's interesting that he's, you know, he, he, they, 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 he is willing to give a very honest assessment of, of every game, including that they probably should have won the Columbus game. They probably deserves not as good as they got in this game. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the kind of message he's taking to his team. And, you know, you feel good about a coach that is always going to be honest with his team. I feel good about that. I don't know about everybody else, but I, I feel good about it. Well, let's jump into talking about uh, UC Soros. Well, okay. So I, I had mentioned this towards the end of the game um, on Saturday that I was really kind of realizing that I'm not sure who the MVP of this team is um, because, you know, sometimes it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear last year that UC Soros was the MVP uh, the year before that, the, the COVID shortened year it was Roman Yossi. Before that, you could you could make cases for a lot. I mean, Pecorino is in there, obviously, but I really don't know who I would pick right now uh, because to me, both both players seem to be 
playing at, a, at an incredible level. And by, by both players, I mean UC Soros and Roman Yossi. Let's make that clear. I think it is between them two. Uh, but I, I wanted to get your take first before I, I t- get go further down on the on this. If you if you were forced, you know the 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 host the hostage takers call you up and say we've got your wife and kids. The only way that we'll let them go is if you tell us who the <laughs> who the MVP of the Nashville Predators 2021-2022 season is. What do you say? God. <laughs> How quickly do I have to answer? Five seconds. I'm going to say Soros. Okay. Why? Um, I'll, here's, let me give you a little anecdote. Maybe this, this will be good. Okay. So <clears throat> on, at the game on Saturday, they, they asked me to, to choose the three stars of the game. Makes sense? Um, so yeah. I, I chose my first star, of course, was Tanner Janot because, well, obviously he had two goals. Um, but yeah. my second star of the game uh, was was UC Soros. Um, third star was Ekholm with three three assists. Uh, so, you know, it was it was interesting to me because I, I didn't put Roman Yossi on there, for example. Um, but I did notice on the actual television broadcast they chose three different stars, and I believe they replaced Soros with Forsberg. Hmm. Now they still didn't choose Roman Yossi, and I'm going to say it because here's here's the thing. If you take UC Soros out of that equation, I don't think the team does as well. Now, you're probably going to make the argument in a few minutes that if you take Roman Yossi out of the equation, even if he's not popping up as one of the three stars of the game, that the team doesn't do as well either. But I will say that without Soros back there, many more bad things can happen. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. Um, it does. I feel like there's, and it's it's through no no fault to Roman Yossi, but there's a a congress of people that can fill that role, um, even if not, you know, on a one to one ratio. A couple of those guys can step up and play a strong game together to kind of cover, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's that goes with the whole next man up mentality. But the reality is that when when you when you take Soros out of the equation, and I mean nothing negative toward Riddick at all, but there's not any other guy on that ice that you can point to and say, okay, this is on you tonight because Colton Sissons who can step up whenever you need him to in the forward situation, can't step into those pads and make the stops that Soros does. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You make a really good point. And so I think the hostages will let your wife and kids go based on all that. So you're, you're good. You're good. Terrible. <laughs> so, all right. Um, no, I, I think in, in that game, I, I would agree with your stars of that game, especially especially Tanner Janot being number one and then two being Soros. Ekholm obviously could be in there as well. But individual games are, are, are really actually easier, I think, to, to name. You can say – you can go back and kind of analyze individual games and say, okay, well, in this game, UC Soros was more important than Roman Yossi. In the Columbus game – Maybe it was I can't even recall. I mean, maybe, maybe Forsberg was the the best player on the ice instead of Roman Yossi. But I think that when you take the to, the totality of the, of the of the season to this point, my answer is UC Soros, and and it just starts because I think goaltending is the most important thing in this league. I think it's what's it's what it's what creates wins for average teams. It's what keeps bad teams even in the in the hunt. And it's what makes 
good teams, Stanley Cup winners. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning winning back-to-back because of uh, Andre Vasilevsky. Um, I don't know if you could say the same about Roman Yossi. However, the reason I think that it is tough for me to name right now is because having seen what the team looks like on the ice without Roman Yossi in the two games that they came back from the break, Washington and Columbus, even though the circumstances were different, I thought they looked particularly bad, especially to start those games. Um, and the, the difference when you saw him back on the ice for that team uh, is just re- was remarkable to me. Um, I've got some numbers here I was going to go over uh, real quick. And, and this, this, I think, adds to the, to the idea that I think it should be Yossi. I'm sorry, Soros. But I'm not, I'm not convinced either way. I mean, Yossi to this point has been the best skater by far. Uh, and, and Soros could be the best player. I don't know. Soros is uh, seventh in the league in facing shots. He has faced the, sh- the seventh most shots. Uh, this is at five on five, by the way. Okay. Um, he has the, uh, let's see. What is it? Um, where is he on this list? Hang on. Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I just had it and I lost it. He has the 11th most goals saved above average. So he's top, you know, basically top 10, close to top 10 in there. Um, he has faced um, not a crazy amount of, of expected goals against. And he's got, I think basically he's got about top 10 numbers across the board, five on five. When you, when you factor in all of the numbers, um, he's definitely top five, top six. So he's like kind of trending towards, you got those numbers down? You got all those, you writing all those down? Uh, he's kind of trending towards a top 10. He's definitely a top 10 goalie. I would say probably a top six goalie in the league right now. Roman Yossi, when you look at the numbers, is probably more of a top three. I mean, like he, I, I think most people would put him in the Norris Trophy consideration right now. I don't think anyone would say he doesn't deserve that. His numbers are probably, you know, because Norris Trophy always comes down to points and whoever the better offensive defenseman is. Is he going to get that? Is he going to is he going to beat Adam Fox and and John Carlson and all those big players to that number? I don't know, but I think he's going to be a finalist. But so if you if you follow the math there, if you if you caught up, Roman Yossi's uh, here. Oh, where are my where are my hands? Roman Yossi is here on the list of of is is here on the list of defensemen. Soros is a little bit lower than that. However, goaltending way more important than defensemen. And I think it just comes down to the position. Uh, you have a good goaltender. He can make you, as I said, he can make you a better team or he can make you a, he can make you a good team, even if you're bad. So Soros to me is the MVP. I think it's pretty close though. And um, you know, if he has a bad stretch, maybe it could be Yossi. Got your numbers. 74. Um, I did a poll. You want to see the poll results? So yeah, far? I was going to ask. I knew you'd done the poll, but I didn't see how the how the numbers were coming. So I'm curious. So the numbers are coming in. I had um, who is the Preds MVP to this point? UC Soros, Roman Yossi, or someone else? And right now, UC Soros leads the way with 74% of the vote. 20% said Roman Yossi, and 5% said someone else. That has to be someone trolling. But there's only 35 votes there. I just put the poll up, so it's not. It's still coming in. So we'll see tomorrow maybe what the, uh, hmm. the final numbers look like. Curious. 
Very curious indeed. Wait a minute. Did I just say – hang on. Yeah, I, I, that's true. 74% of the vote for UC Soros. That's amazing. Hmm. You know, it would be more amazing if 59% of the vote was for Yossi. 74 and 59. That doesn't add to 100, and that is impossible. Not a numbers guy. <laughs> Sorry. We are not We are not into the numbers on this show. Um, so anyways, uh, I, I think it's Yossi Soros. I think you think so, too. I think most people would agree with that um, because he's just – night in and night out, every game that he plays, it's you, – you know you've got a chance to win. <laughs> Um, I think too, you know, Alex. You know, realistically, you, you mentioned this earlier. You know, good teams win championships because of great goaltending, and and I can think you know of a number of teams that aren't particularly great or good or you know really teams that should be doing as well as they can that that have a goaltender that's just dragging them toward wins. Yeah. Um, and especially if you think about you know being a Predators fan, and as as a group, we're used to a goalie being, um, you know, if not the MVP of the team, at least the number one player in our heart. So it, it makes sense that it's kind of an easy leap to say Soros. And that's not to take anything away from Yossi at all. But, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense. It's pretty astonishing to think about how the, the success that the Predators have had with, with goaltending. And, and, and to be honest, like, there's so many teams out there that have had the exact opposite of that for, for – their entire franchise. I mean, like the Philadelphia Flyers have been looking for a goalie for decades now. They they, yeah. ha they haven't had a goalie for decades now. Carolina Hurricanes, they they are like an incredible team every year. And like goaltending is always what, what lets them down. I mean, Toronto, Tor Toronto Maple Leafs should be like a Stanley Cup winning team. If they had, if they had Andre Vasilevsky, they'd have won like three cups already. But yeah. they don't. They, they just don't have it. So like, it's just it's crazy to think about how how other teams out there just don't have the same success at finding goalies and developing them and having success in the league with them as the Predators do. I mean, starting with all the way back with Mike Dunham and then Thomas Vokun and then obviously Pecorino and UC Saros are the main four. So, but Chris Mason, of course, can't forget him. So your audio is gone. No, I was just mouthing number one. Oh, silently. oh, I was like, what has happened? <laughs> you don't have to mute yourself. <laughs> First Amendment is still around. No censorship. It, yes, sorry. Yet. You're good. <laughs> it's fine. You just um, had my family hostage. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I'm kind of freaked out now. Did. Yeah, the well, terrorists. Then, you, you said I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time making a decision. I'll tell you why. Nobody's got your family. It wasn't me though. I'm just I'm just telling you what happened. I hope not. I'm like the dungeon master. I'm just telling you what the scenario is. Okay. So the Predators had four games postponed: Carolina, Florida, Dallas, and Winnipeg. Don't know when those will be played. Well, we do know kind of when those will be played. They'll be played at that uh, break that was planned for the Olympics that the NHL players are not going to do anymore. They will instead figure out where those games fit in. So they'll play Carolina, Florida, Dallas, Winnipeg during that stretch in is, February. Wait, wait, Alex, isn't there also one from Calgary as well? Didn't the Calgary oh, game? Oh, you're right. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. So yeah, there's five I mean, now. Yeah, right. that's a lot. That one, was, that one was like not that postponed. That was earlier. Yeah, that was like the, the Tuesday that. before the Colorado game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they still play the Colorado game, so – 
yes, there's five total games that need to be played. Wow. Um, but you know, the Preds have, uh, they, they've got, they've got some uh, plenty of room in there to, to, to maintain their top spot in the central. Now they are not in the top spot of the central anymore because St. Louis beat went Minnesota last night. But I got to say, it's January 2nd, and the Predators are competing for the lead in the Central Division. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. No. I, didn't I run a poll like like three weeks ago and ask people where they thought the Predators were going to be at this point in the season, and it was like sixth or seventh? Yeah, like bubble team, yeah. I mean, this is this is remarkable. Yeah, I, I think it is too. Um, I mean, I, 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 said, I said no one saw that coming. I would I would not have been surprised at the beginning of the season if you told me that. I, I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, I just I saw the makeup of this team and I saw the the trend of where the coaching staff was taking them and the the commitment to the younger players and the, the frankly like the the possibility that players like Johansson and Duchesne could play up to their potential. I just saw it coming. I was like, it's got to happen eventually, right? Like these guys have to perform to those contracts. And that's happened. So they, they've got the great goaltending. They've got the position. Uh, they've got the, the the important blue line positions locked down with Ekholm and Yossi and Fabro's playing well and Carrier. And then all of the top forwards who you'd want to play well have played well. Like that's that's the recipe for the Predators being, at least in the afternoon yesterday, in the top spot of the Central Division. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think, too, you, you take a maybe one – you know, maybe one or two more key guys to really step it up. That's going to take them just over that hurdle too. Um, and it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be anybody in particular. You could, you could see someone like Tolvanen starting to yeah. fire it up. You could see Trennan's on the puck all the time. You could see mm-hmm. him start turning up the intensity on the goals. And man, I mean, it could go. You could go from contending for the top spot to being pretty solidly in the top spot. Yeah. All those, all those role players, the the, the Tanner Janot, Jakob Train, Colton Sessons line is just is incredible. But like you said, Ellie Tolvanen still only with he's got five goals now. He was like on a little little mini stretch of a of a hot stretch there. But um, Ellie Tolvanen could catch fire. Obviously, Philip Tomasino is still producing. I talked about this before the game on Saturday that he's like individually creating a lot of chances. It, it hit. If you look at only his numbers when he's on the ice, like what he's doing individually, it's pretty incredible. He's doing a great job. He just needs to shoot a little bit better, just needs a little bit better finishing. Um, maybe a few more chances on the power play wouldn't hurt. But, I mean, you get Tolvanen and Tomasino added to that list of, like, players who are performing to their ability, that's that's what you need to, to continue it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it can happen. I mean, you've seen – flashes you've seen stretches where you've had guys kind of catch fire even if it's only for you know three four games you extend that to you know eight to ten games and then you're really you're really cooking so uh, yeah. I'd, I'd look for somebody to catch fire and i'd hope that they stay that way right yep and I'm, I'm gonna mention it i'm gonna mention it so this guy came on to my all right so like i talked about tomasino in the expected goals thing and uh i just wanted to mention that I am not a a stats boy. <laughs> I don't mean that der- in a derogatory way. I'm just I'm 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 a I'm a whole picture boy. Like I'm a whole picture kind of guy. Like I look at the whole 
the holistic child, you know, like everything that goes into into what a hockey player does um, from from their interpersonal relationships with their coach and players like them, them as a as a as a person on the ice, them as a as a community member. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm a big boy. That's what I am. <laughs> I am. Boy. And I, stats do come into that. I mean, like they're, they're important to to analyze in a very particular way and, and to use in, in, in a predictive manner to, to, to figure out which particular which players will be good fits. You know, which ones are maybe prime for a breakout, which ones are on the decline. All that kind of stuff is important. So anyways, I'm saying all this because this guy came on to, into my mentions about the what I mentioned about Tomasino and seemed to think that I had, you know, I was sure that Tomasino was a, a, a prime for a breakout. And I was predicting that he was going to have all this success in scoring goals and was saying all this stuff about how expected goals are not a good predictor of, of, of actual goals, which is not true. It, it is a good predictor in the long run, in aggregate. If you look at all of the, the entire league, take all of the guys that get a lot of expected goals. A lot of those guys are going to get actual goals too. <laughs> it just happens because that's just the way, that's the way math works anyways. So I just wanted to say, I'm not, I'm not going to die on a hill for expected goals, but they do mean something. They, they are important. What do you think? Okay. I, you know, I, I don't know. You're probably right. I don't, when you say that you're not a stats boy, I believe you. I'm really not a stats boy because I don't even know what expected goals are. Yeah, you do. What are they? I don't know. It's just a measurement of like each, each shot attempt that happens. It, it tries to apply a number to the quality of that shot and say, how likely is this? particular shot attempt going to result in a goal. Now there are gaps in our knowledge about what happens. Like a lot of the pre-shot stuff, like pre-shot movement, like for example, if a goalie is moving from left to right towards the shot, he's already, he's more likely to stop the shot. If he's moving from right to left away from the shot, he's probably not going to stop the shot. So like, there's a lot of other things that fill in the gaps of like, possibly how could you uh, predict whether or not a particular shot attempt is going to result in a goal it's not really important that we go into all this. Let's... No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I just, you know, I, I think like, you know, when you say expected goals, it's like, you know, that's like expected money that you're going to make based on, say, your life experience and your, your the variety of skills you have, maybe your education, yeah. things like that. I, I don't know. It just that's a good way of I saying. Didn't realize like the way goalies were moving factored into it, like. Well, you know, uh... Sorry, I that's got, I got, I got, I got ahead of things. They, they, that's not. That's actually the problem with expected goals. There's, there's a lot of pre-shot oh. stuff that's not being added to the equation. Maybe there is somewhere, but okay. I, I, well, I probably added I, too much information there. Um, ultimately, all you need to know is this: every time that there's an attempt to score a goal with the puck, a calculation is done immediately. How likely is that particular shot attempt going to result in a goal? If it's a Wrist shot from the blue line, that's, you know, 0.2 likely, like 0.2 out of out of 1.0. A 20% chance that it's going to be a goal. Mm. A, uh, a one-timer from the slot 
on a rebound chance is like a 90% chance of being. A goal. Oh, okay. Oh, now see, that was a much better explanation. Okay. So those are just okay. examples, but like yeah, and then well, everything yeah, in between, sure. right? Like a backhander from the slot is like a 70% chance, but like yeah. it matter. It also matters whether it's a rebound goal. It also matters whether it's a one-timer, obviously it matters, you know, the angle and the shot distance and all that stuff. All those things go into a big old computer and get computed, co- computated and come out and spits out a number and says, okay, this shot was a potentially point, an 80% chance of a goal. And hey, look, it was a goal because Phil Forsberg scored it. So hmm. in that case, he, you know, produced exactly what you would expect. But that was the problem with the Laviolette area was like they were generating all these weak chances from the outside. And so like they were not really getting a lot of high expected goals, all the blue line shots and slap shots hmm. from the blue line and stuff. But anyways... So you want you want quality chances up front is basically yeah. But and, here's and, the thing that, that that you don't need to know any of that expected goal stuff in order for that to intuitively make sense. Obviously, there's a much like it, it seems to me that most people would think just taking ten slap shot chances from forty feet out is not as likely to lend, end up in a goal as ten wrist shots from the from the slot area. Like it's just right. At least to me, like I think most people would think, like, yeah, it's kind of, it's probably going to lead to more goals if you take a lot more shots from the slot area. Like, how would you not notice that? You know, it's just like basketball shots. Like, it, it, it seems very clear that like if you are able to take a lot more layups, you're going to score a lot more points than if you're just taking threes the whole time. Well, but that's why I like to take it downtown with nasty dunks, Alex. That's all I do. <laughs> yeah, that's I've never true. touched. I've never touched a rim before. It's okay. It's never a touched a basketball. I, I barely even touch basketballs. I don't even play basketball. And I, I tried one time. It failed miserably. Well, it's, it's <sighs> okay. Now that we've gotten off on all that tangent, I'm, I'm not even, I didn't even want to do all that, but Sorry. I felt like it was necessary because I wanted people to understand that to me, it is a whole, every player. Actually, I did want to mention one other thing. I want to talk about James Neal real quick, but oh, yeah. So, to me, it is about the whole player, okay? It, it, is, it is not just – every player that comes into that game or into a team is not just a combined summary of his analytical statistics walking into the gym and putting on, uh, putting on skates and going out there. There's so much more that goes into it, and that's why the James Neal thing will be fun because James Neal is a fun guy. He is very – fun to be around and listen to and 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 the guys like a lot of those guys in the locker room who played with them during the cup run enjoy james neal and some of the guys that didn't enjoy playing with james neal are no longer here do some math pk suban anyways uh <laughs> so you keep bringing up math and now you're naming people letters yeah I, it's algebra oh geez. yeah anyways uh i so having said all that, James, they want, James Neal got if, – if, let me back up a second. James Neal got waived today. Right. St. Louis yeah. waived him, so he's on waivers. The Nashville could pick him up if they wanted to. I, they probably won't, but, man, it would be fun if he was around again. I think James Neal's cool, fun. He would be a good guy in the locker room, and he's not bad. I mean, like, he's, he would be about as good as Michael McCarron or Matt Luff right now, and those guys are not – prospects that you're really expecting to do a whole lot this year so but then also if you have james neal back now that they've lost yarn croak 
Yeah. And there goes I mean, that whole four year long argument. Because don't forget that James Neal also like is a is a he's the heel, man. He's the heel James Neal. He's the he he would constantly get into the under the skin of other players. The Predators like having players like that, uh, at least in their identity as we as we know it, being tough to play against. He jawed with other players, he would get under their skin, he would he would distract from uh what other Predators players were trying to do, which was to try to go score goals and win games. He was he was helping them do that by by being this like kind of buffer, by being this menace that other teams had to deal with. Um, James, James Neal was my favorite player until until he was gone, and it made me really sad when he left. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. I was I was going to go buy a James Neal jersey, and then. Yeah. I mean, when they got him from Pittsburgh in 2014, or as they got Laviolette, I was like. This is a match made in heaven because they need the Predators needed a player like this, and it really was like he was he was great for four years, four seasons. Four seasons. And who did who did they trade away to get him? Patrick Hornquist. That was my favorite Pred before James Neal. Wow, you just yeah. uh, you, you like you know how to pick them. As they get picked, <laughs> they get traded, right? Telling you, telling yeah. you. Okay, so I, don't, I don't like buying jerseys. Well, that's yeah. Just, just rent them. Just rent it. Rent the jersey. Return it. Like Blockbuster. <laughs> wow. What a difference. <laughs> All right. The week ahead. The Predators go on a road trip. They go out to the West Coast. They play Tuesday at Vegas. That's a 9 p.m. start for Central Time viewers. Thursday, they play at Los Angeles. They play the Kings at 930 and then Saturday they go to Arizona before coming back home the following week. So a three-game road trip out west. Um, some tough game. I mean, like Vegas is pretty good. Los Angeles is good. Arizona is not very good. But um, you'd like to see at least two wins out of this three. I mean, that's that's kind of the the, the dream scenario. Two out of three is will be fine on a road trip. So yeah, I'll take I'll take four out of six points on a, a West Coast road trip. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe they they. They beat Vegas, they lose to Los Angeles, and then they beat Arizona. Something like that. So. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts? Uh, just, you know, look, hey. Lower Let me rent. know. Holler That's at right. me. Put I can some, do whatever you need. Put some money on that cup. Yeah, I can, I can do whatever you want, as long as it's morally okay and... <laughs> Doesn't bring any yeah. laws. Yeah. That's right. All right. Thanks again. And uh, you can check out all of our hockey coverage at A to Z Sports Nashville. You can go to onthefourcheck.com as well. Check out everything that they write over there, including Sean and um, they do game recaps, everything. Really good stuff. Follow me on Twitter at AlexDarty1. Follow Sean on Twitter at SCSOTF. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.